welcome to St. Sarkis Church. I am Der Narek, the pastor, and today I'm sitting with my good friend, Deacon Dikran Kabarajan. And the idea is that Dikran and I, would want, we want to talk about the Holy Week. Dikran as a deacon and myself as a priest. I've been observing and celebrating the events of Holy Week since I was a child. And as a priest, your responsibilities do change and uh, the level of involvement changes, obviously. But every year, the Holy Week, as we celebrate, as we start thinking and contemplating on the Holy Week, there's a deeper message. There's always something that you go, oh, how come I didn't pay attention to this all these years? And that's the power of the scripture, and that's the power of the immersion in the life of the church. And Deacon Dikran and myself decided to talk about this, especially under the light that Deacon has been participating in the Deacon's Training Program of the Armenian Prelacy, which um, Professor Dr. Um, George Lelekian, who's a deacon, is conducting very graciously for our deacons. And you've learned quite a few things from your professor, right? Because I did, I did. So, welcome to St. Sarkis Church. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's, it's an honor to be here. Of course. Uh, so let's talk about Holy Week and the events and the significance of uh, the events as they unfold, you know, starting from the Sunday preceding the Palm Sunday, uh, the Saturday preceding Palm Sunday, going all the way to Resurrection Sunday, which is Easter. Um, there's a rhyme, there's a reason, there's a chronology of what we celebrate. So, what would you like to tell us? Well, I guess the first thing I'd like to, 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 to tell you or, or share with you is, uh, and share to our viewers, is how rich the Armenian church is. And how we don't know how, how fruitful and uh, encompassing our Armenian church traditions are, right. and how we incorporate the Old Testament into the New Testament during this span of Holy Week, and how so many things that have been prophesied come true during Holy Week. So leading up to Holy Week, you know, I always think that there's like, what, what, all right, so what happens now? Lent is over, and boom, we have Holy Week, but like, what's the buzz? What's the buzz? And people are asking, tell me what's happening. And that's from Jesus Christ Superstar, I didn't coin the phrase. And uh, I feel like when I see all the things that are happening, and I see how people perceived what was going to happen as of that time, versus the gift that God actually gave us at the end, I see what a miraculous journey it is. Mm -hmm. So you, you said a few quite interesting things, obviously. Uh the reference to Jesus Star Superstar, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, and uh, earlier you said something about the scriptures, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And I would like to probably make uh, two comments. First, I am a person who has never watched uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. It's because you're too young, I'm old. Maybe that, <laughs> or maybe there's something else. Um, I personally have a problem with um, the dramatization of uh, certain scriptural 
themes. Like the best thing that I've seen is probably um, Jesus of Nazareth. And a lot of people nowadays ask me about this new um, series, The Chosen. Right. I started watching it. I couldn't because to me, it's like there are a lot of extra biblical uh, material there. And I personally have a problem with it. I'm not saying don't watch it. That, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying my problem with it. But this takes me to the more important point that I would like to make. Sometimes we are accused that in our church, the Bible, the Holy Scripture does not exist. And that we have hymns and shotguns and prayers and almost we substitute the Bible with things and prayers and like traditions. Tradition. Exactly, traditions that our forefathers have established. But that is not true. Because when we immerse ourselves in the life of the church, we see that the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, everything is present. And whatever sharagans or prayers we have are inspired from the scriptures. So we live the scripture um, in the form of don't be scandalized with this word, but in a form of drama in the life of our church, and that is very important. And this drama, when we come to Holy Week and Easter, I think it starts with um, the Saturday before Palm Sunday. And what happens on that Saturday? Let's start with that. Because okay. And, and something you said about the Psalms and Genesis that's all so true, and something that Professor Lelegian taught us. But... Let's talk about Saturday. So Saturday, Jesus is going towards Jericho, and he's on the road, and uh, Lazarus' sister runs up to him. He says, Master, Master, you know, your, your dear friend is sick and he's dying. You've got to come. I know you can help him. Because why? Why do you think I can help him? Because you're the Son of God. I believe in you. I know you. You can do this, right. you know? And, I, and she says, do you have that much faith in me? He goes, yes, I have all the faith in you, and I know he can, he can be cured. He says, okay, I'm going to hang out here for another three days. He said, this is fantastic. And when I heard this, I'm like, what? He doesn't run. Most people would say, oh, let me go right away. No, because he knows what's going to happen. And he's so excited. And he says, God's glory is going to be revealed. Mm -hmm. in three days. So he hangs out where he is with his disciples, teaching, praying, whatever. And then the third day, he, he continues to walk now towards where Lazarus is. And on the road, getting closer, Lazarus' other sister, Martha Martha. Mary, Martha, runs up to him and says, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mm -hmm. But I believe in you. I know you could still make him well. And he's like, well, okay, why do you believe that? She goes, because I believe you're the Son of God. I believe with all my heart and all my soul that you have the power. She goes, but I wish you were here earlier. He's been dead for three days, and, you know, it's probably too late. But he says, he's going to live again. Right. And she's like, yeah, I know he's going to live again, you know, when we have eternal life and all that mumbo-jumbo. Thanks very much. You're a little late, but... I appreciate Thanks for coming. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate you showing up. So, uh, and then he performs his biggest miracle. Right. He tells them to open the stone. And they say, it's going to stink. He's been dead for three days. Yeah. And then he calls Lazarus out. 
and thus performing yeah. one of the biggest miracles preceding. And if we, if we go and read the Bible, I know that the resurrection of Lazarus in the Gospel of John is like towards the end of the ministry of Jesus. And it's not necessarily the eve of him entering to Jerusalem. You know, we are aware of that. But in our church tradition, our church fathers take that event and they place it right before Palm Sunday as if they're setting the tone of what's going to happen next. Um, and that is genius because, you know, when we, this is something that is very important, I think, to look at the events of what is happening on Holy Week, let's say. You know, if, if you just look at the events, oh, there's a guy who has been rebellious and then he ended up on the cross, right? But when you read the scriptures and now you start looking at those events from that, you know, perspective of the scriptures are giving us, then the entire thing has a different meaning now. And it is within that context that our church fathers, we start the celebrations or the observations rather of the Holy Week with the resurrection of Lazarus. And then we go to Palm Sunday. Are we ready to go to Palm Sunday or do you want us to say something about uh, the resurrection of Lazarus? I follow you, you're the, you're the pastor. I'm following you today. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is known as um, the day of youth because, you know, Jesus was greeted especially by the youth and the children uh, of the day. And he was welcomed as a king. And this is something that we celebrate in the life of our church through um, the uh, Holy Eucharist and the Sacrament of Badarak. And on that, that day, the curtain will be opened because it's a major celebration that we have. What do you think is significant about celebrating Palm Sunday? I think it's the one time that Jesus allows the people to celebrate. He, every other time, says, don't tell anyone I did this. Mm -hmm. Keep this quiet. You know, he didn't really boast about himself. But on Palm Sunday, he enters, and this was, again, foretold in the Old Testament, right. on a donkey, entering Jerusalem as a humble king, not as a... Yes, riding a donkey. Riding a donkey. And in Armenian, it's called Zalgazan which, because ain't no palms in Armenia. Right. And, and, and there aren't a lot of palms even in Jerusalem. They're date palms. So, you know, here we use palm tree things, but they're, they're completely different. So when we, in Armenia, Zalgazat is adorned with flowers. Correct. So, so people are laying down their flowers. And then it's almost like also when people in Genesis, and this is from Lelegion's teaching, in Genesis, People wore clothes because they knew they were naked after they sinned. And now people are taking their clothes off and putting them on the ground for Jesus to walk in because freedom has come. Correct. Yeah, the idea of being naked and uh, discovering sin, something that I spoke about not too long ago in one of my uh, our Vesper reflections. And 
That's a powerful uh, point, and you know, there's nothing erotic about that nakedness that the Bible describes. It's about you know our vulnerability, the fact that we don't have much to be able to live in this world without the grace of God. That is the genuine nakedness that we experience. Palm Sunday is very significant. It's one of my personal favorite favorite uh, celebrations in the life of the church. Um, and to me, there are few things that are happening. Um, it is the day of the youth because, as you said, in the crowd, there were children who were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the, uh, of the Lord. And that was the procession. Now Jesus goes to the temple. And while he is in the temple, uh, the adults are not shouting anything. Okay? And this is something that we read in the Gospel of Matthew. And it is the children who start shouting. And the Pharisees and everybody else who are in the temple, they, they want him to scold the children. They, they tell him, don't you hear what, what are they saying? And Jesus says, it is written that from the mouth of the children, your praise will be heard. So what adults and mature people fail to see is seen by children. And that is very significant in celebrating Palm Sunday because salvation comes. There's that initial excitement that the adults have, but then it fades away. Children pick that up. The most important part that I, I truly love about Palm Sunday, Dikran, is that um, the greeting that is heard by the people, Hosanna, which means save us and save us now. It's a genuine desire, which now we think of as, as, a, as a form of praise, but it, it's a plea, it's not a praise. You know, save us now, people needed that salvation. And they say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of, of the Lord, and the one who comes in the name of the Lord is riding a donkey, you know, and very humble. And that's how he enters the city of Jerusalem. And when we look in the life of our church and the way that we celebrate Badarak, Part of our um, central shalagans, you know, when we sing Sur Sur, holy, holy, you know, at the end of holy, holy, we integrate those words. We repeat those same words that the people and the children were shouting on the streets of Jerusalem in our Badarak. And that happens right before the celebrant or the priest raises the host, the Nashkar, and says, Arek, Gerek, meaning take, eat, this is my body. So every Sunday we celebrate Palm Sunday, and Jesus comes to us in the humble form of bread and wine. So it, it makes me really feel emotional because it's so powerful. And just like the people who were shouting, Hosanna, save us now, we know that we, we need that salvation that Jesus comes and gives us uh, freely. So, but a couple of things on that. They were yelling Hosanna, and the children knew the right meaning. But the adults who were reading it, they thought, hey, this guy's gonna come for Israel. We're gonna be done with the Romans, we're gonna be, have our own country, this is it. And uh, Jesus gave us a bigger gift mm -hmm. than that, which is a gift of eternal life. So in the Armenian church, we have a uh, a very interesting tradition, which I never really knew too much about until I took this class, and that's Turin Patek. Mm -hmm. So Turin Patek happens after Barak on 
Palm Sunday. And that's when everyone hears that knocking of the door. And in the old days, everyone used to go outside and knock on the door of the church. Real, the actual door Real of the church, yeah. Now we kind of put a piece of block in behind the curtain and we kind of yeah. knock that way. But uh, that's a unique service. And that kind of represents us asking to enter the gates of heaven, right? And saying, who are we to enter? And there's a dialogue that goes between Correct. the front of the altar and the rear of the altar. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think you, what you alluded to is, is accurate, and maybe I can add a thing or two about that. Um, it obviously marks the ending of the season of Lent, and you know, curtain is open, and now we're, we, we, we're ready to um, Holy Week. Um, but the deeper meaning maybe is twofold. One is, as you said, um, our desire to enter um, the kingdom of heaven. And the second, which is more imminent, is the openness that we need to have. In our hearts. In our eyes, in our ears, in our hearts, so that we can perceive and receive what God is offering to us. Without that, um, this whole thing becomes like, a mere celebration, a drama, that people come, light a candle, and go home. You know, but this is, these are life-giving uh, events and celebrations in, in our church, and it, it's something that can potentially renew us. And Dikran, you said something about um, the expectations that people had, right? Uh, Jesus coming and overthrowing the Roman Empire, and when they sense that that's not what's happening, they kind of abandoned him. And um, it's so easy for us to kind of sit here and look back and kind of have a judgmental mindset about the people who failed to receive Jesus at that time. But this is a common mistake that a lot of people make even today, because we have certain hopes, certain expectations, it's almost, you know, I'm not afraid to say that we have an agenda for God and we want God to do certain thing, things for us because we think that if those things are fulfilled in my life, then everything should be good. And those two or three things are not, we are not able to perform or to make it happen. Therefore, we want God to do them for us. So God becomes almost this uh magical powers that we want to have and we want God to perform certain things for us. And this is a wrong approach, obviously, in our relationship with God. What I have learned in my journey of spirituality is something very simple. We need to let God be God. We need to express our desire of, you know, having a relationship and connection with Him. We, we need to express our need for God. Some of the, or one of the best ways of prayer is just say, this is my situation, God, and let God be God. Don't limit or don't say, do this for me, God, because we don't know. That might not be the best outcome. So there's an expression, right? People plan, God decides. Okay? But this is beyond that. This is about trusting ourselves fully to God and uh, knowing that he is the pilot. He is the captain of our ship. 
And what is that better shown than the faith of Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, believing in Jesus Christ? And everyone who he healed, whether it was the blind man, uh, whether it was others, their faith made them well. Right. And their persistence. How much persistence do you have to spend time with God? How much uh, faith do you have in leaving everything in his hands? Right. The best example is obviously in the life of, uh, of Mary, the mother of God. And the uh, first miracle of changing water into wine. She goes to Jesus and she says, they have no wine. They don't have wine. And she stops there. She doesn't tell him what to do. She just presents the problem there. And he says, my time has not come yet. And she tells the, the servants, do whatever he's asking you to do. That is prayer. That is prayer. Because she knows that he is the captain of the ship. And he will do whatever is best. And that is the mindset that we as Christians are encouraged to have because that is the best way that we can practice our spirituality. Let's move to the Holy Week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What do you have uh, on well, those days? Monday, we remember creation, right? Okay. So we read Genesis. And then we relate, on the way to Jerusalem, there was a fig tree. Okay. And wasn't giving fruit, right? So Jesus wasn't too happy about this tree. So he kind of says, this tree sucks, all right? Probably in a lot better words than I just did. But uh, then an ode is read that just as the world was born, we are now renewed through Christ. So mm -hmm. in essence, the reason the Armenian church, what I was taught, celebrates creation in Genesis is that now we are starting from scratch right. this week. We're, it's our Genesis. Right. Okay? And then when he comes out and he goes back on the right, he sees the tree is withered and dying. And we're renewed. And we ask through Christ, we ask him to renew us from all our sins. I'd like to make a comment. Um, when I was younger and uh, a lot more ignorant, um, this part didn't sit well with me because fig is one of my favorite fruits. I love figs and Jesus is cursing the fig tree and the fig tree is withering and dying. I didn't like that part. Um, but later when your knowledge changes and you see that um, he is cursing that tree because that tree has been barren. It was supposed to give fruit and it's barren. And when we look at the, the time when this is happening, it's very interesting. This is happening in somewhere between mid-March to mid-April. This is when Jews celebrated Passover. And as a person who comes from the Middle East, we know that figs grow um, ripe in summer. August. Right? It's foolish to expect a fig tree to have fruits in April. But what Jesus is doing is very metaphorical. He is looking at the people of Israel and saying, you've been here and you did not do what the expectation was. Okay? And he 
the place that he chooses to stay is very interesting. When he comes to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday is in the temple, and then, you know, between Palm Sunday and the, the night that he is arrested, which is traditionally Thursday, he makes few visits between temple and his now new dwelling place. Where's that place? It's called Bet Pake. Bet Pake, you know, it's just a name for us. We don't know the meaning, right? Bet means house. And Pake, uh, I don't know how it's pronounced in uh, Aramaic or Hebrew, it means the small little figs that are not grown. So now Jesus, with his disciples, is in Bet Pake. In other words, on one hand, there is the old withering fig tree that is kind of fading out of the scene, and there's a Betpage, the new fig tree that Jesus is planting, and that is the church. The, the imagery that is found in the scripture is so rich, and you know we need to go deep to be able to see all of this. Let's go to Tuesday. What do you have to say about Tuesday, Tuesday and Wednesday? This was always the one day of the Holy Week that I was confused. What the heck's going on with these ten maidens, right? Oh. Right? So everyone comes, their daughters are dressed up, it's very nice. And I said, how can ten brides expect to be married? And it doesn't make sense to me. And I was well, saying, they're bride maids. They're not brides. They're right, bride maids. Right, right. So, so, so then I learned through this thing that these, these are actually, it's misunderstood. So the virgins aren't getting married. They want to, they want to go into the wedding. They want to enter the feast, but they're waiting for the bridegroom, because you couldn't go into the feast until the bridegroom came. So in much church stuff, Christ is the groom, right? And the church is the bride, okay? So we see the story of five with enough oil, and five without enough oil. So the ones that don't have the oil left, they ask the ones with the oil, hey, I'm done with my oil, can you give me some? And by the way, this is a parable that Jesus speaks. Right. This is not an actual event. Right. We need to it's clarify that. Yeah, from the Gospel of Matthew. So then I thought about it, and I said, you know, I really had a hard time with this. Why? You know, we're Armenian. We're supposed to share everything, right? right. Why do you they give them the oil? But then I thought, and I learned, uh, that maybe the oil isn't about oil, but it's faith. Correct. Or it's spirit. So you can't really give someone faith. They have to have their own faith, right? You either so, have it or you don't. When they ask their peers for some, they're told to go get their own. So they go, they look for it. But then what happens? The groom Good shows up, right? So the groom shows up and enters the feast with the five who are there. Then the others come later, they knock on the door, they want to get in. And Jesus says, who are you? I'm not going to let you in, I'm not you. And that's the biggest thing that struck me about that day. You don't want to be the person who Jesus doesn't know. Yeah. It's a reenactment of uh, a parable, and we softened it a little bit back in the day, um, maybe even to, to this day in you know, Middle Eastern countries. It's a casting of lots. Everyone picks a piece of paper, and they open the paper, and in that paper, uh, it, the paper either reads as um, wise or... People will hate me for using this word, stupid. Now, in, in our churches, we say wise, and then we write maybe next year. So we're giving people the chance for trying again next year. But I like the way that you, um, you know, you made a little sound effect with 
the knocking on the door. And it made me think about, oh, there was a knocking on the door that happened on Palm Sunday with Trampatsek, right? And then on Sunday, the doors were open, the curtain was open. Tuesday, there is that metaphorical knocking on the door, but the door is not being open for everyone, only selected few, those who have faith. And that is um, absolutely very important. Timing is of essence. And, uh, you know, now we have the time. And it's... What are you doing with the time? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's about... Listen, adult faith and mature faith that, you know, adult person develops, it doesn't happen on its own. It's a journey. And we need to invest into that journey. Because with, the, with that journey, there's growth. There is the grace of God that comes within you. And the most important thing, there is healing and there's peace. And those are very important things. Those are the results of that journey that you take. And it's, peace is what, you know, we always say in, in Badarak, you know, you know, and that is the biggest gift you can give someone is peace. Yeah. And that's why the Armenian church is always talking about spreading peace, because without peace, you know, your life can be very difficult. Yeah. Um, as, you, uh, as I said in the beginning of uh, this video, that you, you go through the motions, you go through the events, and you celebrate and you observe. Every year there's something new, right? And um, lately, one of the discoveries that I had is, uh, I was like, Every time that as a priest I go and I bless the people and I say, the choir of the people, they respond back and they say, which means, and in your spirit, that peace be also in your spirit. Recently I realized how powerful that wish is. And it happened at a moment where internally I was struggling. I was having a moment where I didn't experience that peace. And when I heard that, you know, little melodic piece, and I thought about it for a second, I, I said, this is what I need today. I need the divine peace to be in me. So these are transformative events in the life of our spiritual journey when we decide to, to walk with God. Should we go to Wednesday? Sure. Uh, in Holy Wednesday, uh, there's the three synoptic Gospels. What are the three synoptic Gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's a whole different story, right? I passed the test, by the way. Right. You did. You did. I'm just testing it. Uh, so this, is, this explains the anointment of Jesus prior to his betrayal, condemnation, torture, crucifixion, and resurrection. So on Holy Wednesday, we commemorate the opposites in hospitality. What do I mean by that? Well, on one hand, Jesus, Judas goes and he plans to betray Jesus on that night. 
And at the same time, women, the woman comes and anoints Jesus mm -hmm. and uses this very expensive uh, oil, ointment, yeah. oil uh, to, to anoint him. And people say, what are you doing? It costs oil a lot of money. Yeah. You could have given this to the poor. And, you know, and he says, there always will be poor. You know, but she is doing what needs to be done. So as the uh, sacrificial lamb, he is being anointed and getting ready. Uh, that statement is so, so powerful. There always will be poor. It's about setting our priorities straight. You know, a lot of people who, and this is not a criticism, but just trying to make it, you know, uh, relevant to our lives. A lot of people say, Shut Gordon, I'm always busy, I cannot come to church. Shut Spabazam, uh, I cannot pray, I'm way too busy. You will always have that busy lifestyle. But the time that we devote for worship is not time that should be bargained with or, you know, um, kind of negotiated. There are certain things that sit at the top of the pyramid those are really very very important and we need to know um, and appreciate that this woman knew the disciples did not know and there are so many contrasts you know the adults didn't know the children knew the disciples do not know uh, the anointing woman knows um, the bible is so good you know pinpointing and highlighting certain events that those who thought to, that they would know, they don't. And those who are marginalized and nobody takes them into consideration. In this case, you know, children and women with, with the mindset of the culture of that time, they are the ones who know. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. And, and the contrasts, like you said, are, are very, so it shows there's always two sides. You know, and, and, and it's up to you which side you want to be on. But it also shows the, the breadth of the human condition. You can, and, and, and what Jesus shows through his life is you can go from one extreme to the other extreme, which we're going to get to for Holy Thursday.